0: is that if you're on this call today you're listening to this today and uh, you're on the far left of this issue of how we would define men or women or you're on the far right of how we would define men or women my hope is that this conversation that we have today will be irritating to you and it might piss you off both of you on the left and the right if that happens i feel like i've done my job because there's a lot of truth in the positions that people have taken on these issues so we'll get into what's true and we'll get into what's really partial. So we're in this, you know, political war around this stuff. And most of people that are worrying about this stuff and highly opinionated about this stuff are deeply entrenched in one of those three multipolar camps, biology, psychology, or culture. So... Before we get into the meat of the first multipolar factor, which is biology, I want to give a brief overview of something that I'll be using a lot in this talk, which is the idea of the bell curve, okay? Bell curve is very simple. It depicts the mean, the mode, and the median of a data set. The only two numbers that really matter to us are the mean and the standard deviation. And if you think of a bell curve, right, it looks like a speed bump. The center is the mean, and the wideness of the curve is the standard deviation. And These are really worth investigating, investigating uh, how this is used to crunch data and how it can be really useful in parsing information in a way that's very helpful. I say all that because all of this stuff is really nuanced and whenever we're talking about secondary sex characteristics and we're talking about athletics or we're talking about things like this, we have to be really careful about our data sets. We have to be really careful about what we're actually talking about. We have to watch our biases and we have to be careful not to make generalizations. Okay. First multipolar factor, biology. Okay. So this is one leg of our three-legged stool. So biology is the single most deterministic factor in determining sex. So sex is male, female. Gender is masculine, feminine. So we're going to talk about sex right now. We're not going to talk about gender, just sex, biological sex. So Men, of course, have an XY chromosome. Women, of course, have two X chromosomes. When humans or any great ape, when you get that set of chromosomes, that leads to the development of all kinds of secondary sex characteristics, which we'll get into in a minute. So the one thing that's really interesting and where you can sort of see the determinancy of genetics and why sex can't be just reduced to sociology or psychology, is when you look at certain kinds of sports and who dominates in certain kinds of athletics, it's all men in a lot of it, right? Boxing, MMA fighting, you know, anything that's highly competitive, swimming, running, all these kinds of things, right? Weightlifting, things that require more muscle mass, more speed, When you go out to the far edge of the curve, if you take the world's best tennis player who's a man and put him against the world's best tennis player who's a woman, he will destroy her. Absolutely destroy her. It won't won't even be a competition. If you take the world's fastest woman and put her against the world's fastest man, not a competition. In fact, the, the fastest women in the world compete at basically a high school level that young men compete at. This isn't patriarchy, this isn't bias, this isn't sexism, right? This is biological reality, because the secondary sex characteristics, when we go out to the far end of the bell curve, create extreme differences in gender, excuse me, in sex, right? Which have implications for gender, the implications for then how we view ourselves as men and for, for women. And I want to be really clear about this. So if you take the middle of the secondary sex characteristics, the middle of the bell curve, so if you take an average woman and an average man and have them box or have them compete in downhill skiing or have them run, the chances of it being a 50 50 chance of who might win are much, much, much higher. An average man and an average woman, the difference is that secondary sex characteristics become less prevalent because they're not at the far ends of the. Spectrum of the bell curve, and I have I have a, a brief story about that. So I'm I'm a highly trained martial artist, right? I've been training my whole adult life. I used to fight in tournaments when I was a younger fella, and uh, I used to bartend in Philly and broke up lots of fist fights. And so like I'm very comfortable using my body in a martial way. But as a as a martial artist, I use my legs, my hands. I grab, you know, I throw, I do all kinds of things. And I was challenged to a friendly boxing match by a very nice woman back in my Philadelphia days who was much smaller than me. You know, I weighed her by probably 30 pounds and I was taller than her. And I thought, oh, what the hell, you know, this will be fun. You know, I'll go easy on her. You know, like it'll be it'll it'll be fine, you know. And um, and so we start to box using boxing rules. And uh, she completely, completely handed my ass to me. It wasn't even a fight. So, even though I was bigger, stronger, more muscular, and highly trained, you know, in the arena of boxing, she decimated me. So, the second multipolar factor in what is a man is gender, culture. Okay, so here things get a little bit messier. So, there is a gender definition of what is a man, there's a gender definition of what is masculine. This is also on a bell curve. So, Well, the far side of the bell curve in a culture in a time period might be an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of muscular or Clint Eastwood or Cary Grant or the stoic, tough, emotionally quiet or shut down guy who's, you know, too cool for school. Maybe that's sort of how we would define men on one side of the spectrum, and like over on the other side, maybe it would be this sort of Woody Allen, you know, neurotic, wiry framework kind of complaining and, uh, um, you know, clearly couldn't punch their way out of a paper bag. So there's, we're still inside of this phenomena of the bell curve. The definition of a man, what is a man, and why does it matter, that is completely dependent on the culture, whether it's a macro culture, or microculture. So, when I was traveling through Thailand, I can tell you that the definition of what a man is in Thailand is really different than Texas. Really fucking different, okay? What's considered masculine in Thailand is not considered masculine in Texas, and vice versa. Cultural If we step back and we take like a really brief historical view, for those of you that are integralists and sort of geek out on this stuff, you could also look at this idea that in a power based society, right, power based society where might makes right, where there aren't any rules, the rules are basically the most powerful person is in charge, and the rule is basically don't piss them off or you get killed. You know, you think of like a Genghis Khan, right? That's a great, Genghis Khan didn't build elaborate rules and structures for governance. He ruled by might and by intimidation. So in that kind of culture, what's a man? What's masculine? Well, it's gonna be very much skewed towards valuing these secondary sex characteristics of speed, agility, power, strength, right? People who can fight, people who can kill. Um, These are going to be valued. These are going to be considered the quintessential definition of what masculine is in a power-based society. In a rule-based society, we think of like when the Catholic Church ran much of the world or under feudal empires or under monarchies, all these rules. And so when there's a bunch of rules, right, it's less important physical strength is less valued what's what's really valued are things like strategy cunning bravery charisma the ability to lead and control basically the ability to keep chaos at bay and keep things ordered that's going to be really valued in a rule-based society when we move to like status-based culture like the united states status based culture right obviously, we value men that acquire wealth and status right oh Elon Musk, you know wow, three hundred billion Jeff Bezos, wow, you know look at look at the Bill Gates and George Soros and you know men that have a lot of money and have a lot of power because of that there's admiration for that, and then we look at well, what are the things that make those people successful? Well, they're hardworking, they're disciplined, they're ruthless in some ways, they're uncompromising, they're brilliant. And so these psycho-emotional traits become something that helps to define what a man is in a culture that is status-based. We go into a pluralistic society where we're heading into much of Europe is is there already. There are pockets in the US. And in a pluralistic society, masculine traits are they prefer men who are equitable, who don't worry about justice, but worry about fairness. Right. Fairness. Well, we want to look at all the ways that maybe we're not being fair because we have to be fair. Fairness is more important than justice. We might, in the pluralistic society, admire men who are able and willing to sideline their secondary sex characteristics in favor of greater representation or the representation of underrepresented people or groups and then we we also could have something like an integrated society and and something that like I feel like that I'm living in here in my hometown and with the men that I do work with and the men that I do deep you know psychological work and support and challenge and here I would say that we see the value of all of the above we can see the value of how all these different definitions of masculine and what a man is can have their time and their place and can be worth defending and honoring so long as one can hold that in a larger context and see that it's part of this nested values that exist when it comes to secondary sex characteristics around the masculine the third multipolar factor psychology okay this is also the realm of gender expression and this one's pretty simple this one you don't need a phd here to sort of track this one all right so sex is binary gender is infinitely variable and culturally dependent And it's not fixed to any platonic ideal, right? There is no platonic ideal of what is a man. It really depends on the culture. But from a psychological viewpoint, it's very simple. It's how I view myself. Do I consider myself a man? Do I consider myself a woman? Do I consider myself neither? I identify as a man, I identify as a woman, I identify as neither is a completely true and valid subjective statement. There's no arguing with it, no arguing with it. It's great, you see yourself as a woman. Great, you see yourself as a man. Great, you see yourself as something else. That's neither of those two things. That's perfectly fine. Now, where it gets really confusing is depending on the culture in which we live, that psychological truth may or may not be honored in the greater culture. So if I live in a power-based or rule-based culture, if I'm in Iran, or if I'm in China, or if I'm in Russia, I may identify as a different gender than my sex at birth, but I'm not going to get that culturally validated. And, in fact, I may actually get killed because of it. So I may have to hold that close to the chest. I may have to hide that, which is heartbreaking. In a pluralistic society or really in, in in achievement-oriented societies too, generally, if you identify as a woman or a man or neither, and that, that doesn't line up with your biological birth, um, it's okay. And it's more welcomed. More welcomed in pluralistic societies. More defended in pluralistic societies. Where's the problem then? So the, the problem is that what can happen sometimes, my real criticism of the right the criticism of the right comes from the fact that they understand the primacy of biology. They get that. They, they see that bar stool, okay, biology, and they have a really hard time when they say a trans woman is a woman, hard stop, because they then try to reduce everything to the biology, and their argument boils down to, look, if you have an XY chromosome, you ain't a woman. You, you know, you're something else, but you, you're, you're not a woman. And there's a truth in that, right? There's a truth in that, but... On the right, they tend to ignore psychology and they tend to ignore culture. And they don't honor the fact that I may identify as a woman and I have a right to do that. And I may live in a culture that I'm trying to change so that I can feel that way and the culture will honor how I am and they will let me have the rights and responsibilities of that gender. On the left, trans activists, they also make a huge mistake they tend to negate biology. And so their argument basically tends to be, well, 1.7% of births are intersex, which isn't actually really true. And so sex isn't a binary. Sex is basically a social construct. Your sexual identity is assigned at birth as if it's arbitrary. And um, what really matters, since the science of genetics is messy and there's all these things we can talk about that muddy the waters, all that's left then is cultural and psychological definitions. And this is a very sloppy unscientific argument. And so when they do this, what do we have? We have we have all of the shit that we have to deal with, all of the vitriol and the hatred and the projection, and you know, trying to ban this and ban that, and you know, red states are passing laws that are really problematic. They're trying to prevent the culture from acknowledging trans people's right to self-identify that's a problem. I've got a real problem with that. But I also have a problem with the way a lot of the people on the left on the trans side are fighting back because they're fighting back in a way that's disingenuous and actually doesn't hold on to this nuance. And so they're not going to, you're not going to win by making a bad argument. And so you have two bad actors making bad arguments on both sides. And it's a fucking mess.